0: Well, we're continuing together then our study of the Abrahamic covenant. Recently, we looked at the Noahic covenant. And we said that the Noahic covenant provided for a stable framework within which God's redemptive plan could be carried out in the fulfillment of his promise of the seed of the woman crushing the head of the serpent. And so what the Noahic covenant does is it provides... Uh, A stable environment physically. Never again will God send a flood on the earth. There will be springtime and uh, fall and summer and winter. So there'll be consistency in the physical universe. And then also it provides stability culturally. It establishes human government for the purpose of restraining sin and punishing sin. As is summarized in the uh, command to establish capital punishment. Now, within that then stable physical and cultural framework, God then begins to establish the outworking of the redemptive plan and promise that he made in Genesis 3.15. And he does so by establishing this covenant with Abraham. Now, last time we looked at the five passages that deal with and express this Abrahamic covenant. We looked at Genesis 12, we looked at Genesis 13, we looked at Genesis 15, we looked at Genesis 17, and we looked at Genesis 22. We just read the passages and we brought out the fact that this covenant was stated uh, on five different occasions. And as we collate all that is said in those expressions of that covenant, we recognize that there are three major themes or promises, if you will, that stand out in this covenant. We said a covenant is an oath sworn promise. Well, in this case, oath sworn promises, plural. And those three promises are God promises to Abraham, a seed that is descendants. And then he promises him the land. So that seed will have a place to live. And then he promises him blessing that the seed that occupies the land is going to enjoy the special favor of God. God will be a God to them. And that is the peculiar blessing that is pronounced is the blessing of God's presence with them. Now, we said that understanding the Abrahamic covenant is vital to our being able to understand uh, the Bible as a whole and how the Bible fits together. And the reason why is because out of the Abrahamic covenant flows the other two great covenants, namely the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And so we have the Noahic covenant, which is the framework of stability, within which then the Abrahamic covenant is established, and out of the Abrahamic covenant comes the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And so if we don't get the Abrahamic covenant right, then we're not going to get the Old Covenant or the New Covenant right either. Furthermore, if we don't rightly understand the Abrahamic covenant, we're going to have a terrible time understanding the New Testament. So when you come across passages like Galatians chapter 3 and chapter 4, when you come across passages like Romans chapter 4 and Romans chapter 11, those passages are impossible to understand if we don't understand the Abrahamic covenant. And so this is, is really vital and foundational, and that's why uh, the author of our book, J.R. Williamson, spends three entire chapters talking about the Abrahamic covenant and its significance and its terms and its meaning and its implications. And that's why we're going to spend a considerable amount of time on it. Now, last time we looked at Genesis 12, 13, 15, 17, and 22. And I said to you that the covenant was also stated two more times. It was restated to Isaac, and then it was restated again to Jacob. Now, after Jacob, the Abrahamic covenant was never reiterated, and it was never reaffirmed. Uh, Not that it needed to be, it was established, but you recall that uh, throughout the scriptures on many, many occasions, God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, okay? And Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the trilogy of patriarchs that are mentioned as being um, the frame of reference within which God and his dealings are to be understood, And the reason for that is because it was with those three men that the Abrahamic covenant was declared and reaffirmed. And so when God takes the trouble to state something five times in one man's life, and then he states it again in his son's life and states it again in his grandson's life, we start to get the idea that this is pretty important. So what I want to do is uh, take up where we left off last time. We did look at Genesis 12, 13, 15, 17, and 22. And what we want to do today is look at Genesis 26 and read what God said to Isaac. So Genesis chapter 26. Now, in uh, Genesis uh, 22 was the last statement to Abraham. And um, after Abraham... Uh, obtained a wife for uh, Isaac. It says in Genesis chapter 26, beginning at verse 1, we're going to read through verse 1, 1 to 5. It says in Genesis 26, and there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And of course, that was in Genesis 12 when he sailed down to Egypt and Then came back and Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, go not down into Egypt. It's where Abraham went. God doesn't want Isaac to go there. He says, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Now, here's the beginning of the statement. Sojourn in this land. And I will be with thee. And you remember that's what uh, our memory verse is for this week. God says, He will be a God to us. And here God says, I will be with you. Same idea. And will bless thee. Uh, There's the blessing. Okay, here's the second term. For unto thee and to thy seed, there's the promise of the seed, he says, I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swore unto Abraham thy father. So there's the promise of the land. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So in verse 4, once again, we have a reiteration of the three Uh, major promises of the Abrahamic covenant, um, the seed, the land, and the blessing. Verse 5, why? Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And so Abraham was faithful, and and so God reaffirmed uh, the covenant with his son Isaac. Um, And so Abraham took upon himself the covenant obligations and the covenant sign. And uh, as a result, he. um, What's the matter? No. (laughs) Okay, I'm she was trying to say something to me, but I don't know what. That's the verse. Yeah. I passed it out. I passed it out to everybody, but you, I skipped you because I knew you had a copy. She, was th- she, she thought I hadn't passed this out. You all guys all have a copy, right? Okay, so I'm innocent of the charges, of negligence. Anyway, um, so what we have here in Genesis 26 is the... Um, The uh, reiteration of the Abrahamic covenant, the promise of the the land, the seed, and the blessing. All right. Now let's turn to uh, Genesis chapter 28. Um, In Genesis 28, um, Esau has sold the birthright. Jacob has obtained the blessing. Uh, Esau is unhappy about the way Jacob obtained the blessing. He's going to kill Jacob. And so Jacob's mother says, you know, you need to take a hike for a while until your brother cools down. So he heads off to Laban's house. And um, as he's traveling, verse 10 of Genesis 28, it says, and Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down In that place to sleep. Um, Now I doubt he actually used the rocks for pillows. Um, What I think this is referring to is that he probably built himself a little place to sleep in the rocks, and perhaps even made a little fortification for himself out of the rocks. If he slept with his head on the pillow, he'd have uh, with his head on a rock. I think he'd have a hard time sleeping. Verse 12, And he dreamed. And behold, the ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending upon it. Um, now, what's fascinating is that uh, Jesus mentions this incident in John one fifty one, And uh, he says, What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascending and descending uh, in heaven? And of course, He was referencing this particular event and declaring himself to be the fulfillment of what's being spoken of here. Verse 13, and behold, the Lord stood above it. He's at the top of the ladder in heaven, looking down the ladder to the earth and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father and the God of Isaac, the land. There's the mention of the land. Whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. There's the promise of the seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south. And in thee and thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. There's the blessing. So um, uh, verse 15, And behold, I am with thee. And will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again to this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken unto thee of. And so God describes in more detail the blessing he's going to pour out upon him. And Jacob wakened out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. He was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place, this is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Beth-El. Beth-El means the house of God. El is the name of God and Beth is the name for house. And so he called it the house of God. But the name of that place was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in all his ways, that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God and this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Now, there's a great deal there. And I have a whole sermon on this section. If you're interested, it's on sermon audio. But the point is, as you see, the same covenant, the same terms being reiterated over and over again, uh, not only to Abraham five times, but then uh, all the terms to Isaac and then all the terms once again to Jacob. Now, when we we look at these promises, these three promises, we see that uh, the totality of what constitutes each of those promises has to be constructed out of a a collation of uh, all of these passages. And so in Genesis 12, uh, in verses 1 through 7, God says, go out to a land I will show you, to you and your descendants, I will give you this land. And then in chapter 13, he says to him, look north, south, east, and west, Uh, as far as you can see, that's the land I'm going to give to you. And then, of course, in chapter 15, he delineates the boundaries of the land even more clearly by describing it in terms of the territories that particular tribes occupied, the Kenites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and all of those people. And then in chapter 17, he declares... And by the way, this possession of the land is going to be an everlasting possession. You're not going to have it for six months or six years or six decades. You're going to have it forever. And so the promise of the land is an eternal promise. And then finally, we saw in Genesis chapter 22, that this land is going to be occupied or gained through force of arms. He said to Abraham in Genesis 22, your seed shall possess the gates or the cities of your enemies. And of course, we see that that's how the land was possessed, is that they had to conquer enemies. Uh, The Jebusites and the Girgashites and all those people didn't just hand the stuff over to to the descendants of Abraham. They had to fight for it under Joshua. So uh, we look at these various passages and we collate all these things and we get the size of the land And we get the timing when they're going to get the land 400 years after this. And we get the way in which they're going to get it, which is through a warfare. Okay. So it's not going to be purchased. It's going to be gained through military conflict. And then the promise of the seed, once again, uh, we collate that out of the various passages. God said in Genesis 12 and verse 2 that God would make of him a great nation. And then in chapter 13 and verse 16, he says, by the way, it's going to be so great that it's going to be like the dust of the earth. And uh, it's going to be like the stars that are in the heaven, he says in Genesis chapter 15. So God is not saying you're going to have 50 or 100 or 2000 descendants. You're going to have millions and millions of descendants, so many that it would seem to be impossible uh, to count them all. And then, of course, ultimately, uh, God said that uh, Abraham's seed was also going to be Sarah's seed. Because you remember that Sarah had given to Abraham Hagar, and he had by her Ishmael, and certainly he was Abraham's seed, but guess what? He wasn't Sarah's seed. And so in chapter 17, God made it very clear. No, I didn't intend for uh, this to be just yours, but yours and Sarah's. Because in Genesis 15, God had said to Abraham, you know, your seat is going to be as the stars of, of heaven. In chapter 16, Sarah goes, oh, this is how it's supposed to happen. And she gives Hagar to Abraham. And in chapter 17, God comes along and says, nope, that was a fail. Um, We are going to do this with your wife, not with some sort of a a concubine. And so that then was the promise of the seed. And then as we collate these passages with reference to the promise of the blessing, God says emphatically, in blessing, I will bless you. Now the blessing that God brought on Abraham, the primary blessing that God brought on Abraham is the blessing that's in our memory verse today. And that is that God would be a God to Abraham. In other words, while God did give Abraham tremendous material blessings, that wasn't the chief or even the primary blessing that God was pouring out upon uh, his servant with whom he was in covenant. The primary blessing was the one in our memory verse where he says, And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant. Now here's the blessing to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. So God's personal presence and God's personal favor are the great blessings that he promises. You remember in Genesis 15 and verse 1, He said to Abraham, Abraham, I am thy exceeding great reward. And so the great blessing that God promises in the Abrahamic covenant is himself. And it's way better to have God than to have his stuff. And uh, so God did certainly bless Abraham with material goods, but um, he blessed him primarily with his own Uh, personal relationship with God that was unique and that was special. Um, And then of course, blessing was not only going to be on Abraham, but blessing was going to come through Abraham. We read in Genesis 12 and in other passages that in you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. So God didn't just say, I'm going to bless you, but through you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. And so, uh, of course, that blessing was none other than the salvation that came through Jesus Christ. And so today, uh, the gospel has gone to all the nations of the world and all the nations have been blessed through Abraham and his seed, Jesus Christ. And of course, um, among these blessings, um, This one, of course, is is the greatest of all of them. And that is is that the Messiah would come through Abraham as uh, the ultimate seed that he would have as his his descendant. Now, we're going to see these themes of the land and the seed and the blessing repeated over and over and over again in the scriptures. We're also going to see them being fulfilled in various ways. And it's important for us to understand that the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant is number one, progressive. And number two, dualistic. That is uh, two-tiered. What I mean by that is that God didn't give Abraham the seed, the land, and the blessing, boom, instantaneously. The next day took 25 years to have the first seed, which was, of course, Isaac, and then the land. How how long did it take for them to get that? 400 years, right? And, of course, the blessing began immediately with God's presence in Abraham and Sarah's life. But those blessings multiplied as Abraham gained wealth and as he gained uh, possessions and power and servants and and, uh, success and victory, for example, in his uh, battle with the, the kings that uh, stole his, his nephew Lot. But not only is there a progressive fulfillment of these blessings, but there's also a progression in the seed. And the seed progresses, if you will, in three ways. First of all, Abraham has a physical seed and his name is Isaac, right? Okay, And then Abraham has the ultimate seed, singular, who is Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter uh, 3 and 4. Okay? And then Abraham has spiritual seed. That's us, Gentiles. We have no blood relationship with Abraham, right? But we are the seed of Abraham because it says in Galatians 3 and verse 29, and if you be Christ's, Then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise of what? The Abrahamic covenant. Okay? So Abraham has Christ. Christ has us via the new birth. We're born again, right? We're born of Christ spiritually. So Abraham has physical seed, Isaac. He has ultimate seed, Jesus. And he has spiritual seed, all of those who have the faith of Abraham. Okay? He says... um, in, in Galatians, well, let's just look at it for a second, okay? Turn to Galatians chapter 3. <sighs> Galatians 3, 6 and 7. Notice Galatians 3, six. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And that's Genesis 15 and verse 6. Here's our verse, verse 7. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith. Is that you? Are you of faith? Do you believe? Okay, then what does that make you? The same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen, that's you and me, through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, And thee shall all nations be blessed. That's us. We're part of the all nations. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So are you a Jew? You absolutely are a Jew. You're a spiritual Jew because the Jews started with Abraham. He was the first Jew and out of him, the Jewish nation came. Okay. And if you're not part of the Jewish nation, you're not part of the new covenant. Because who did God make the covenant with? With the house of Israel, and with the house of Judah. If you're not in the house of Israel and the house of Judah, you're outside the new covenant. So how do you get to be in the house? You get to be in the house through being born into it by being born again through faith. And so it's it's the new birth through faith that attaches you to Abraham through um, the the new birth that comes through Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, one of the things we have to understand about the Abrahamic covenant is that um, it's it's unfolding in its fulfillment. Okay, that's the first point I want to make to you. And especially with reference to the seed, uh, it's progressive in its fulfillment. Um, The second thing we need to understand about the Abrahamic covenant, and that is is that um, there is this transition in who the people in the covenant are. Now, before Christ came who were incorporated into the abrahamic covenant well the answer is everyone who was a blood descendant of abraham whether they were saved or not every jew was under the auspices of the abrahamic covenant if he was born of jewish parents and if it was a male if he was circumcised because that was the sign of the covenant right if you weren't circumcised you were thrown out of the covenant all right And, uh, of course, the girls were just included by virtue of birth. So what you had is up until the time of Christ, the the, the participants in the Abrahamic covenant were, number one, um, everyone who was a blood descendant of Abraham. Number two, whether they were saved or not. Now, what happened when Jesus came and the new covenant was instituted is all the unbelieving physical descendants of Abraham were broken off and cast out of the covenant. Romans chapter 11. Okay? And all that was left was believing Jews and believing Gentiles that were grafted in. Okay, And so, uh, under the old administration of the Abrahamic covenant, they put the sign of the covenant on the newborn children of Abraham, right? They circumcised the babies. But under the new covenant, we put the sign of, if you will, the Abrahamic covenant on spiritually born babies, okay? Not physically born ones. And that's why, because the nature of the community changed from physical descent to spiritual descent, therefore the objects of receiving the sign of the covenant changed from physical infants to spiritual infants. So we practice putting the sign of the new covenant on infants, just spiritual infants, newborn babes in Christ, okay? Whereas they put circumcision, the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, on physical infants and 100% of them. So that's why we just baptize believers. We don't baptize infants. So what you have then is you have this progressive development and unfolding and expansion and spiritualization of the Abrahamic covenant taking place over time. And if you don't recognize those changes and transitions, and the continuities and the discontinuities that attach to all of that, you wind up with bad theology. You either wind up with dispensationalism on the one hand, that takes the new covenant and just severs it from the Abrahamic covenant, as though they're two completely separate events. Or you go to the paedo-baptist era where you treat the new covenant like it's still the same thing as the Abrahamic covenant. And therefore you keep on including physical infants in the covenant community. And so that's why it's important for us to understand the nature, the unfolding nature and the progressive nature of the Abrahamic covenant because we don't get that right. Then we wind up either rejecting provisions of the Abrahamic covenant that are for us or we wind up trying to adopt aspects of the Abrahamic covenant that are not for us and so what's not for us is the inclusion of physical infants what is for us is still the promise of the seed, the land and the blessing but the objects upon which the sign of the covenant are placed has changed as has the sign of the covenant went from physical um, circumcision to now baptism and the objects went from physically born infants to spiritually born infants and if we get that right then It really makes sense and it all flows together. And if we don't get it wrong, uh, we wind up um, saying things about the children of believers that are just simply not true. Or we wind up robbing ourselves of the provisions and blessings of the Abrahamic covenant with reference to the land and saying, oh, that belongs to Israel and that's got to be reestablished in the millennium and um, all of the nonsense that goes along with that. All right, well, our time's gone. And next time we're going to talk about the old covenant fulfillment of the promises, of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, as I said, this covenant is fulfilled two ways. It's fulfilled literally and physically, but it's also fulfilled spiritually. And so, uh, did Abraham get the seed? Yep. Did he get the land? Yep. Did he get the blessing? Yep. But we also get the seed. We're also going to get the land, and we also have the blessing. And so there's a double fulfillment of the land. He got Palestine. We get the new heavens and the new earth. He got the seed, which was Isaac. We got the seed, which is Jesus. Okay, And he got the blessing, which was the presence of God. You know, I will be a God to you, 17.7, which we looked at here. I will be a God to thee and to thy seed after thee. And we get that same blessing. They shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. Um, And he says, I will be a God to them and and they shall be my people. I will be their God and they shall be my people, which is the promises in in the new covenant. And so um, these have double fulfillments. Uh, And they were fulfilled one way under the Old Covenant. The terms of the Abrahamic Covenant were fulfilled one way under the Old Covenant. And that's all the physical, literal fulfillments. And under the New Covenant, they were re-fulfilled again, spiritually. Okay? And in a much more expanded way under under the New Covenant. So, when we start to get these frameworks in place, then we understand um, some of the things that we read in the Old Testament Uh, are not meant to apply to the Jews in Old Testament times. They're meant to apply to the new covenant community of the the church, and some of them even to the eternal state. So um, understanding the covenants has really helped me uh, understand reading books like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And you read these chapters, and he's saying this stuff, and you go, what does this apply to? Well, if you understand the covenantal frameworks, you can say, oh, that chapter applies to this. And it applies to that. And uh, you have a place to to put all that stuff and have it all flow together and make sense. All right, any questions? Okay, well, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the wonderful covenant promises that you have made to your people. Uh, Lord, we see the importance and the centrality of this covenant to the whole rest of the Bible. And so Father, since you took the pains to state it seven times, which is a a very significant biblical number, uh, then clearly um, it's something that we need to pay attention to and understand. Lord, we ask for your illumination so that we might grasp it and grasping it, be able to understand our Bibles as a whole and as a unit and then all the parts in their places.